you are listening to On The Topic. And this week, you're going to find me throwing my controller at my television because this guy is a bullet sponge. I'm Dan. And uh, I'm going to be bouncing around the walls, uh, trying to avoid being cut into pieces, but ultimately saving the day. I'm Alex. And uh, well, this week, Dan, we are going to be talking about your favourite and my favourite and everyone else's favourite computer game bosses. It's been a while since we've done a your favourite, our favourite episode. Mm. Um, so this is our first one of 2022 and I'm really looking forward to this one. Very excited. I've got to say, it's taken me back and I, I, I've got to be honest, I've also had to watch a fair amount of YouTube videos just to kind of remember the build up to, to the bosses because some of these games I'm going to be talking about in a little bit actually quite old mm. and I, I know it takes us back to um what was it ott which one was it the computer games 48 ott 48 where we're talking about your favorite computer games um it made me sound pretty old and i think i'm gonna be doing it again ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and dan but hey there's nothing wrong with that you know we've got a fantastic back catalog of games to reference mm. um and I, I know I've got some absolute bangers and classics that probably most of our listeners, and in fact you, Dan, the first of my half, probably have never heard of. So if nothing else, it might be an education. Um, but at the very worst, I'm going to feel pretty old. But there we go. But before we get sat down, what have you been up to? Anything exciting? Just busy. Um, it's been crazy at work. Mm. That is what it is. Um, but I'm off to York tomorrow. At the time of recording, I'm off to oh, York. Lovely couple of days um so anyone that does park run not me um well you watch i watch i, I spectacularly it's hard work alex spectacularly and um <laughs> it's yeah it, it, it's just it's just hard work you have to watch all these people run around a field or up and down a concourse wherever, wherever they have these park runs and I, I'm just tired watching. Just get me my bacon bap and I'm happy. Mm-hmm. So my other half and, and myself driving up. We are going to catch up with her mum and her niece who are already up there now. Lovely. So they do parkrun. They did the parkrun alphabet. So this is, they're going to get a Y this week. But this trip isn't just for them. This is for me as well. We're going to go to Brew York, one of the craft beer breweries in, in the UK. Get some street food and beers on, uh, and then come home the next day. Ooh, so, look, nice. so looking forward to a bit of time in York, and then just a long weekend. So four four day weekend, just going to chill, going to enjoy it, spend some time with the extended fam. And if there is any clattering or banging in the background while I'm talking, that's just my behalf. Um, we are just setting up the spare room for for our guests. So. <sighs> Her mum and niece will be coming home with us as well for a couple of days. What about you, Alex? What have you been up to? Um, much the same, Dan. Uh, just busy. It's a busy start to the year. Um, generally, try not to, to spend too much money and a bit drab and dreary outside. But uh, things are looking up. Well, at least in the UK at the moment, you know, it's not quite so cold anymore. Um, so, yeah, uh, looking forward to the, to the sunnier days that are coming. Uh, and we book some holidays later on in the year, so stuff to look forward to. But no, nothing terribly exciting, just just usual fair down. But 
blah, blah, blah. Nothing wrong with that because sometimes it's got to be a bit quiet to enjoy the business. And to that end, we are going to be talking, as we said before, about favourite gaming bosses. So um, do, do we know who recommended this one? Was it a listener who recommended this this one? Or did we come up with it? I will have a quick look. I think it might have been between us, to be honest. Mm. I think it was one of our episodes. But of okay. course, we do have a big list of... Yeah, I think it was us. But we mm. still have a list of episodes that people have recommended. And say over the next few weeks, probably catch up, have a beer, and we might have some potential guests this year. Yes, along tonight's theme. But I don't say too much in case it doesn't come off. But yeah, um, some some potentially some exciting things and some exciting conversations coming up. But as you say, Dan, a beer must be had first and foremost. Mm, definitely. So um, yes, this week we are going to be talking about, I mean, some of the ones I've got, Dan, well, again, as usual, fair on the topic, guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, we don't talk about our notes. So I don't know what Dan's got. I might have a rough idea, but I think he's going to go largely away from mainstream. Um, and I've got some here, which this is the interesting thing. I When I first wrote this, I was thinking, well, what do you define as favourite? Mm. Because is it that you get the payoff at the end? And the payoff at the end, the completing of the game or the level or the mission, doesn't necessarily mean that it was a slugfest. It doesn't mean that you were squeezing your control and throwing out the wall, becoming frustrated. I mean, there are a couple of those in my list that meet that criteria. Oh, yes. But actually, some of them are just really good ways to finish off a storyline. And actually, you get that that release. Do you know what I mean? So some games, you can spend hours upon hours upon hours. You know, back in the day, games used to, to last, I don't know, easy 50 60 hours if you did it properly nowadays you're lucky if you can reach 12 or 20 and this is not me by the way saying modern AAA titles are rubbish not felt good for value not great greatly written i'm not saying that i'm just saying they tended to take longer and so when you got to that end because a safe points in verb didn't exist right yeah you know, mm. when we looked at um uh the spectrum or you looked at the oh uh, yeah beautiful the, the, the mega drive the Master the Game Boy, which I talk about, you didn't really have save points on a lot of the games, either because they, they didn't require them because it wasn't that long enough or because they just weren't built into the code. So when you actually finally compete, it really was like a, a running a marathon. And that's that's that was where I, I, I kind of came from a number of different angles on my list. Um but yeah, it's it's bittersweet. It's a great payoff, and sometimes it's uh, it's just a great way to end the game. Mm. Oh, good way to start a game. Uh, how so? Just a nice little introduction, isn't it? Sort of, oh, I see. you know, a nice, easy start. You know, the first boss is never that difficult, although I think ah. we, we might talk about that in a little, in a little, in a little while. But yeah, um, sometimes it's just a nice way to introduce things and get you eased into it yeah just ease mm. you in or maybe it's just a good part of the storyline doesn't have to be the finale it doesn't so with that in mind shall I kick us off down this week yes let's do it let's go back down 
all the way back to a simpler time. Alex A7 or 8. Um, Disney's Darkwing Duck. Oh, boy. 1992 on the Game Boy. The black and green screened uh, 8-bit wonder was the Game Boy. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with this, and there might be a couple, uh, you put your AAA batteries into the back. It's it's a mobile device thing, and it's very simple. It's all pixelated. Um, and it's an 8-bit game, and they're cartridges. Uh, so usually what you'd have is uh, an A4 or I guess an A5 size box, and in there would be your, your paper pamphlet with the instructions, which invariably is a load of gumph. And you have your, your plastic cartridge, which is in the nice little see-through box. Did you have a, a Game Boy, Dan? I did, yes. Uh, so I had the, the classic one, the, the big mm. chunky one, but it was the yellow one. And then a bit later on, I had the Game Boy Color. And I remember the Game Boy Color very well. I remember one Christmas, uh, I got the camera that went into it with the oh, printer. Right, yeah, yeah. So I had that, and that was good fun. I don't know where that is now, to be honest. It's probably lost amongst the several house moves that me and my parents made. Hopefully somewhere in a box in an attic somewhere, because that might be worth some money in the near future. Mm. But anyway, that's uh, that's Nintendo Game Boy. So one of my earliest games, Darkwing Duck. Again, it's not really an IP that's often used now by... Um, by Disney, but it was effectively was it is it was modeled on Daffy Duck, wasn't it? But he was a crime fighter, yeah, quite an incompetent one. But he was a crime fighter. He looked quite cool with his cape and his mask on. Anyway, this game was based on that character from the TV show. Well, down the plot. Well, the plot of this game is very simple. He says a mysterious crime wave has hit Saint Canard, and shush. S H U S H requires the service of the Cape crime fighter Darkwing Duck to stop it as it appears that F O W L Fowl and their valued operative Steelbeak is behind the uprising. They've hired six Darkwing's greatest foes to wreak havoc in different areas throughout St. Canard, and Darkwing must subdue each of these criminals in order to find Steelbeak and save the city. So good so far, very simple. Six bosses. And then you've got the final one, the seventh one, in the finale. Now, I'm not going to talk about the six individual bosses because effectively it's, in that, in that day and age, they were single missions and they were punctuated at the very end with a boss, which is maybe an extra third bolted on to, 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 to the level. But I'm going to talk about the very end, the, the, the true payoff. I say the true payoff, Dan, because this game didn't allow you to save as you went. So every time you picked up that Game Boy, and hopefully the battery was in it and it'd last the session, by the way, because sometimes the battery would die. It would. And you'd be buggered. But um, that's a technical term. But because um, it, it, it faded a little bit, wouldn't it? The, the, the colour would slightly go, but it still play. So you did have some warning, but if you take those batteries out, the whole thing turns off anyway. So you're kind of committed once you start the game. Mm. Anyway, the point I'm making is you're working through the game. Uh, and it's a particularly fun game because it's a side scroller. You know, as I mentioned before, it's an eight-bit game, so there's only so much you can do. It's not 3D. You're bouncing to to and from left and right of the screen, jumping. You've got a little shooter, like a pea shooter. Uh, you're bouncing on top of things. It's it's a pretty PG type style game. Your usual 90s fare, but it's really good fun, wholesome fun. However, the final boss level apparently as I think about things, and this is in my subconscious, is one of the most frustrating, but I think one of the most enjoyable when it comes in two stages down. So um, 
unlike the other levels where you can go off screen and you can push the screen as you go left and right across across the level, you're in a very confined space in this boss level. You're in a tower, a glass tower. And um, there's little room to manoeuvre. So it's the space literally of the screen, which is very big. So you've got to avoid spinning death discs who will seek you out as you're side-scrolling that platform. And they will seek, they will actually like a homing missile. So if you don't shoot them early enough, you run out of space and you actually can't get the angle of your gun. So they end up churning you up. You've only got, I think it's three different lives here. Now, in between missing these jewels of death, you need to shoot these, these two little light panels, very small pixels, where the main baddie, Steelbeak, who's behind all of this, is sat behind too, whilst he's watching you try and avoid being diced up as a bit of fried chicken. Uh, he's relaxing, watching your impending death, sitting in a chair behind a bulletproof piece of glass. However, if you manage to, to avoid these spinning discs, shoot them quick enough, and then hook on to these... Um, these rings, which are just hovering in the air, because again, it's poor graphics, and you bounce from each reach, and you manage to hit one of these glass lights, and you shatter them. It then completes that part of the section, goes on to the final showdown. But it, it took many, many attempts to even get to that point, because you've got to work out the timing, the angle of these discs. As I say, you've only got three lives. Uh, and I like to think as a young seven, eight-year-old Alex, I had the dexterity, the fingers, mm. to be able to, 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 to work out those button mashings. You really only just one button, isn't it, and a directional pad on a, on a Game Boy. Not very con- you know, convoluted. No triggers as we have now on, on modern gaming, just, just really two inputs. But it was quite difficult because you had to kind of work out the rhythm and the direction and make sure you have plenty of time to shoot these bolts. Anyway... But once you do that, which is a minor achievement itself, and again, remember, Dan, if you died, you started all the way back from the beginning of the game, which could have been 45 minutes ago. Annoying. I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. So you really, really got to take your time and, and know what you're doing. But once you do that, still be gets up out of his chair and goes, look, I'm not having any of this. I'm going to throw down. And it ends up being hand-to-hand combat, Dan. So it was still beat because it looks like this over, oversized rooster, this murderous rooster. And what he does, he runs at you from side to side of the screen. And um, what you do is you need to time your jumps between these charges. And he's got this, this almost like this Roman shield. So if you try and shoot him, it just bounce off. But if you don't shoot him, eventually he'll get up, get bored, and he'll throw the shield at you. So you've got to jump above that shield and then shoot him between that and then him charging you again. So it's not an awful lot of time. Again, it's all about the rhythm. But there's plenty of times that I died to get to that rhythm because, again, you don't get savers, or saves, as you say. And the only way of really killing him is the most honourable way down of killing someone is in the back. So he runs past Oof. you, you jump over him, he shoots in the back. But if you do this, I think it's about six times. The guy's fried chicken, he's dead. Uh, it's happy days. Uh, you've saved a day and you can enjoy a bit of 8-bit animation at the very end before then the credits roll. So all of that, that about five minutes worth of, um, if you get your, your timing right, five minutes worth of activity, maybe three minutes, and you're treated to, I don't know, 45 seconds worth of 8-bit animation. And that's the game. That is it. Turn off your game, boy. Next time when I go and play it, turn it back on again. And you rinse and repeat. It's beautiful. But this is the thing. It, it was a very much simpler time, you know, Game Boy. And you didn't need complex or convoluted 
titles. You didn't need you know loads of inputs. You needed a directional pad. You need one bat- button for the uh, the action, maybe one button for a jump, and that is it. And Darkwing Duck was very simple, left to right, up and down on 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 almost like a, an old kind of Super Mario type style thing down. And then you got a pea shooter, and that's it. And I loved it. Darkwing Duck is cool, cool as f to what to look at. He's a good looking character. You're very 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 cool as a port to game. But the the ultimate payoff was a very difficult boss fight. Took me many hours to get there, but when you did it, you you know you really earned it. And that is why Dan, that is one of my most favourite all time gaming bosses. Hark, sorry, back to 1992 on the Nintendo Game Boy. All about hard work, persistence, and patience. And this is the thing, I will talk about those things actually in my next game, but specifically perseverance. But yeah, it teach back in the day, games taught you other things that you need for life in general. Mm. Um, and sometimes those lessons can be uh, very difficult because your batteries die at the very end of the game and there's nothing you can do about it. Absolute killer. Absolute killer. But you know, there we go. So yes, straight out of the ballpark and it's 1992. How about you? What have you got done? Let's kick things off with 1998's Zelda Ocarina of Time. Ah, okay. You stayed on, you stayed on the, uh, the, main, the main track here, but that's yeah. not a bad thing because that game's absolute quality. Have you seen... Slightly off tangent, sorry, before we, I know you're about to go into this, but very quickly, have you seen the, the remaster? So, someone has digitally redesigned the whole game in Unreal Engine, I think it's five. Have you seen yeah, this? Yeah, it looks banging. It looks beautiful. I don't know if it's ever going to be properly commissioned, but it looks wonderful, Dan, doesn't it? It looks like it a, should. It looks like a modern title. I guess it is because you're using modern tech, but it just looks so, so gorgeous. Mm. But anyone unfamiliar with Ocarina of Time, the story of the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time revolves around the Gerudo King and evil wizard Ganondorf's rise to power and the hero's quest to defeat him and bring peace to the land of Hyrule. So I'm going to kick things off with the very first boss you encounter in the game. Just think it's a nice starting point. Queen Goma. Now, Queen Goma was a parasitic armoured arachnid. Ah, oh, yes, I remember this one. Yeah, located in the Great Deku Tree. So that's it, really. There's no no um, clues behind where you locate this thing. It's literally you're inside a tree, you go around, and you um, you find chests. You start to unlock things, you get keys to open up other rooms, and I think you unlock the fairy slingshot. In the, yes, you do, in, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The Queen Goma will initially climb on the ceiling. Uh, once there, she just lays eggs and you have all these little Goma larvas come at you. So this isn't one for the faint-hearted if you're scared of spiders. No. Nice episode to hit up there. It's our uh, episode about phobias a couple of years ago. Oh, well, yeah, really um, good one. I'll put it into the um, description below. That's a good shout-down. Uh, once on the ground, Goma will attack by lurching upwards and falling. Once she's fallen, that's when she becomes vulnerable. Uh, now, you can either hit her in the eye with a Deku Seed or with the Fairy Slingshot, to which she'll be stunned. And then you can attack her with your dinky little Kakiri Sword. So, no, nothing difficult, just a nice entry point into the game. And, of course, the bosses get harder as you go along. 
But I've got an honourable mention for, for oh, Zelda. Yeah. It was a mini boss, actually. It wasn't one of the big main bosses, but do you remember the water temple? It was like the third temple you enter as adult Link. Yeah, I think I think I found this one quite frustrating. Yeah, um, I think most of us did. It was the worst temple of the lot. Yeah, I think I had... I, I remember uh, as young Alex having to go into Croydon. I lived in South Croydon, for those who don't listen to the podcast. Uh, get the bus into Croydon, go to WH Smith's, because that was a thing back in the day. And I used to have to, have to search out... Um, a glossy booklet it costs quite a lot of money like 30 quid and mm. it, it basically was a walkthrough and it told you what to do at each part of the game each temple how to do it and the best strategy these days of course you go onto YouTube and you just Google someone else bloody playing the game or yeah, 100%. Out. but yeah back in the day you used to have to go into a bookstore and purchase an actual almost thick, thick book that actually had pictures and images and told you how to do it and I, I had to buy one of, one of those one really embarrassing but for those who play it and Dan you must know how difficult this game was mm. it didn't really tell you too much it just just made you kind of guess how to to, to make your way around Hyrule um, I had to buy that that book to actually make my way through the game because I just got stuck so many times like well what do I do here have I got enough of these things have I got enough of those things where do I find that it's hidden I ain't got time for that so yeah, um, I got through that Wars Temple. I think that's actually with a point that I bought. I bought this book. So I got so frustrated. Mm. Um, it was just like one room that was really hard to get to or find. And then when you sort of figure out, you go, oh, "Fucking hell, that was yeah. so simple." But yeah, no, that's a good point. Actually, I'm just going to sort of go on a tangent here for a second. You talk about having to go to WH Smith or HMV mm. to get one of these guides. The other way you would do it, because we were only like youngsters back then, you'd go to school and find out from your mates, which is always a good way to, you know, pass around your your knowledge. Or you would have to buy something like Games Master. Yeah. Or one of the magazines. A little bit cheaper, but then when they're breaking down the walkthrough, you probably would have had to buy an entire year's worth of magazines by that point. Yeah, exactly. Really annoying, um, but yeah. Or alternatively, Dan, you circumvent all of that and you give it to a mate, they complete it and they give it back to you a week later. Yeah. That, that, is, that is what I did with Goldeneye. I gave my safe file to my mate. He <laughs> did a speed run all the way through the game to unlock all of the cheats, you know, the, the dual wielding AR, whatever they are, assault rifle, silver guns, um, DK mode, the big head, paintball mode, all of that, because I couldn't bothered. Uh, and he gave me my safe file back and I was ready to go. Mm, I'll talk about what, well, yeah, be on my next game. Mm. But yeah, sort of going back to the water temple, the yes. mini boss was Dark Link. Ah, Literally, yeah. you go into this room and I'm sure there was like a tree in the middle of it. It was almost like a mirrored sort of watery room and there was like this dark mirror version of yourself. Mm. And every time you attacked, it was like an almost mirror of what you were doing. And you had to just catch it in the right way to defeat it. And I think it was only like two or three or four hits to defeat him. But yeah, I always used to find that quite fun. I would drag it out for as long as possible because I was having so much fun trying to destroy Dark Link. I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to drag it out. If I hit my sword 
and his hits mine, that's great fun. <laughs> I know. Ridiculous. I wasted so much time just doing that mini boss. It probably um, distracts me from the absolute frustration trying to get to the main boss. Yeah. Can't remember what the main boss was in the Water Temple, but I just remember you had to get the blue tunic, you had to get the iron boots so you could sink underwater, you were able to breathe and all that stuff. But yeah. Such a quality game, isn't it? And so I don't good. know how I don't know how people remembered the tunes on the ocarina, but if you played it a certain tune, it would do a certain thing. You mm. may learn a tune the other side of the map, but you wouldn't be able to use it until you got to the other side of the map at this very random, very niche looking crack in the wall that would open up into bit. Yeah, it's just it's just genius. The, the, the game is genius. It's just yeah. It's a wonderful title and a good shout down actually. The Wars Temple and that game mm. was brilliant. I think before you fight Ganondorf, there was the last temple, it was in the Garuda Valley, and you had the mirror shield, and yeah. the boss was like firing. I think one was fire and one was ice. And when the fire one shot its blast at you, you had to sort of deflect it to the ice one and vice versa. Mm. It was clever, it was genius. What what a game! I think we talked about it in um, favorite computer games. Yeah, it's absolute beauty, and I would recommend anyone who hasn't seen it to go and have a look at the 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 fan made remaster. I mean, the, the, the shadows on that is just absolutely beautiful. The, the, the mm. glow of your fairy, oh, it's, just, it's 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 a lovely looking game. We'll be talking about it again in a minute when we uh, hit the listeners. But yeah, that's that's my first one, an honourable mention. My next one, um, I've also got an honourable mention, but I've got so much in my notes for the honourable mention, I'll just make it my third. So, yeah. But what's your second one, Alex? Uh, this is still keeping with 1992 and the Game Boy, but this one's called Super James Pond. Wasn't he like the frog or something? Of, of there was a, yeah, there was there was a frog version. This one's the fish. Ah, the fish. That's right. But it's all a play on on words, based upon, of course, the titular super spy James Bond. But this is James James Pond, uh, and it's a a sequel to the original, which was James Pond. This is Super James Pond, and the plot down. Well, this one you have to take with a pinch of salt. I'll read through anyway. Although Acme Oil Company has been destroyed by James Pond in the prior game, his arch enemy, Dr. Maybe, survived and has retreated to the North Pole, where he's taken over Santa's workshop. Now, Dr. Maybe is holding Santa's workers hostage. Uh, they mostly are penguins, and have turned many of Santa's helpers into his own twisted and dangerous assistants. James Pond is recruited to infiltrate Santa's grotto. Free the captive penguins, retrieve the stolen toys for the children of the world, and defeat Doctor Maybe once and for all. This time, however, due to the greater risks involved in the mission, James Pond is given a robotic suit and a code name RoboCod. Amazing, genius! Now, this suit gives uh, James Pond superhuman strength and agility, as well as enabling him to stretch his midsection almost indefinitely and reach otherwise impossible high areas. Now, the reason down why I've chosen this one uh, and being one of the best bosses is, is single-handedly taught me perseverance. You talked to, talked to in the previous one, down about how patience and the rest of it, and you really did have it with this game. 
because in the lead up to the main boss, and there are quite a few different and difficult stages, you need to scale what is actually quite a challenging castle. It's um, it goes way off the screen. Um, the slightest miscalculated jump can mean the end of 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 the game, because by this point, I mean if you remember, you're about forty minutes through. There's no mm. save point. You may have no lives at this point if you had a particularly bad run. So you could be facing this with no lives in a single playthrough at the very end. And this castle is bloody difficult because in some N64 games, they didn't really code it properly. So you may be able to jump onto something, but that something would look exactly like everything else. It could be a background. It could be a door frame. It could be a piece of brickwork, but you would actually know whether you can interact with it because there are limitations to what an 8-bit game can show. So you may try and jump onto something, think you can jump onto it and you can't. You plunge to your fishy death. So every playthrough or every time you use a life, you learn this level by every single bit of intricacy. Anyway, you eventually get through this castle. You're jumping up on, on the turrets. You're avoiding patrolling evil snowmen. Of, of course, there are evil snowmen. Why not? And as I say, making impossible jumps, which need to be perfectly timed. If you get through all of that, and by this point, you are looking at about the 45, 50 minute time time period. You then met with the biggest motherfucker of a teddy bear that you've ever seen. Now, this, this teddy bear, it takes up the whole screen. And he will slam himself down to the ground. If you're underneath it, you'll become squished. So you've got to learn to dodge, jump, and to dive bomb your way through that big bad. But once you do that, you're on to the final boss, which is the evil snowman. Saying this out loud sounds absolutely insane. But anyway, there's a decapitated snowman down. You've got no head, and the head floats and bounces around the screen, chasing you like a, a murderous homing missile. So as, as you're trying to outsmart and outrun this head, Again, you've got to dive bomb the torso, jump out of the way, and you're whilst you're being chased. And it's it's all about timing. It's all about rhythm. It's all about, at this stage, you've got worn fingers. You've got calluses on your thumbs. It might be a bit sweaty because it's quite, quite difficult to get to this point. But once you get that and you repeat it three or four times, happy days, the witch is dead, and the credits scroll. But to that point, it took a lot of effort and a lot of time, a lot of perseverance. But the payoff was phenomenal because it was in two parts, right? You had almost like a semi-boss to get you teed up, but he was Mm. still quite difficult to get through. Then you had the snowman who really had nothing to do do with the whole story whatsoever. But anyway, there was a massive snowman that you got to kill. And because he's so big, because these these bosses got so large, your little fish for about three pixels... It really did give you satisfaction back in 1992 to finish this game. And it's a wonderful, wonderful ending to what is quite a difficult game, actually, because because of, you can stretch off screen. If you stretch too far, you can stretch into a spike. It'd be too late for you to, to be able to like retract yourself and you, you die. So you, you, it's almost like a trial and error as you go through a run to know how far you can stretch and where can you reach and where's not worth it and where is to jump and how far to jump and yeah, Jesus, it's bringing back um, 
some post-traumatic stress, but it's a, <laughs> it is it is a really good, challenging title. And as I say, the payoff is a snowman that you've got to dive bomb his torso to escape the murderous decapitated head. But if you get through that absolutely bonkers storyline and boss battle, it's a quality title. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. Super James Pond. Lovely. I remember it. God, the 90s. Simpler times. It was. I mean, I never, I never played the original. I think I was drawn to that particular game because I'm a James Bond fan. I've talked about this on the podcast before and even on the weekly roundup days. You know, well, we both are Bond fans, aren't we? Mm. Um, I still remember how distraught you were when I told you that Sir Roger Moore had passed away in 2017. That was a Mandela effect for sure. Yeah. Um, did we go and see um, uh, No Time to Die together? We did. We? we did the on-the-go episode, uh, and then we did the big review after. Actually, funnily enough, at the time of recording, where we've been dropping our episodes on YouTube, you can now get those two episodes as of today. You can. Alex's subconscious came through in the end again. Um, I was a blood-boom mess at the end of that film. But it's a really good film. Great ending. Mm. But um, yes, I was drawn to the title because I thought, oh, cool, you could be like a super spy running around with a gun. It's not quite like that, actually, in the Game Boy version. Um, but it's still it's still a good, simple game. Uh, and one I thoroughly enjoyed. And I'll put some links in the um, description below. You can go onto YouTube. I'm sure there's other platforms available, but why not YouTube? Um, you're going to have a look exactly what I'm talking about. It's very simple gaming, very wholesome. But yeah, it's uh, there's a whole end-to-end, uh, I guess it's Let's Play. Uh, it's definitely one to uh, to go and watch. So yeah, have a look at the links below. But um, that is my second one. Uh, my second choice is 1997's Final Fantasy VII. Ah. Or alternatively, the Final Fantasy VII remake from 2020. So in the original, it's the second boss you encounter called Airbuster. But just to give a bit of a synopsis on the game, uh, I won't go into too much because you can hear me ramble about this in favourite computer games. The game story follows Cloud Strife, a mercenary who joins an eco-terrorist organisation to stop a world-controlling mega-corporation from using the planet's life essence as an energy source. Events send Cloud and his allies in pursuit of Sephiroth, a former member of the corporation who seeks to destroy the planet. So, I mean, there's plenty of characters in this game that want to ruin the world. Mm. It's fine. We're going to kick things off with Airbuster. So you find Airbuster outside of Sector 5 Reactor. So Cloud and his merry band of uh, mercs and people that want to save the planet, they're going around Midgar, this big metal pizza dish thing of a city or cities. It's quite big. Um, trying to destroy the reactors, which are sucking up the, the Marco. So we encounter Airbuster outside just before everything kicks off. So Cloud, Barrett and Tifa are confronted by President Shinra. And he says, meet Airbuster, a techno soldier. Our weapon development department created him. I'm sure the data he'll extract from your dead bodies will be of great use to us in future experiments. 
Oh, wow. I mean, the president's not quite there. He's like a hologram, but hey. Actually, no, I'm sure in the original game, he was in the helicopter, and then it was in the remake, he's a hologram. Been a while since I played the original, but mm. still, still a timeless classic. Now, this is the first time you encounter a battle on a side attack. So you've got Tifa and Barrett on one side, and you've got Cloud on the other, with Air Buster in the middle. Unlike most opponents, attacks to the back of Air Buster will deal five times the normal damage instead of the regular double damage. Now, Air Buster turns to face whoever attacked it last, and he's got some pretty big moves in him. So he's, he had a, a move called Big Bomber, which would really like damage your characters. Or he'll just like shunt you. And again, not the most difficult bosses, but on the remake, good God, man. I was there for probably a good 15 minutes mashing buttons, hacking, slashing, shooting, dropping materia on that bad boy's ass, mm. thunder. Um, and some of his attacks were just brutal. So you go through in the remake and you can take things away from his sort of like AI and his attacks is up before you meet him. And actually, do you know what? I don't think it makes much of a difference what you take away from him because some of those moves from the original game, which is brought into the remake kicks your ass even more. I mean, thankfully I did him first time, but yeah, um, very easy in the, in the original, but in the remake, yeah, not not the easiest. But then in the remake, you encounter him sort of about nine hours in. Right. Whereas in the original, he's only like an hour or two. So, and for Final Fantasy, remind me, this is turn taking. Uh, you select kind of a uh, an attack kind of thing. It's not like real time attacking, is it? Yeah. So in the original, it is in mm. the um, remake, you literally have to hack and slash, and you can sort of change oh, between the characters. So you can sort of choose. Oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it's quite fun, the remake. Um, it's very much like Guardians of the Galaxy. Or the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Avengers game, <laughs> which... Uh, mm, talking of the Avengers, I think mm. I shared this the other day, they've sort of pulled everything now, haven't they? They're going to just drop yeah. every, all the content and then that's it. They're done with it. Which, you know, I'm surprised they've been plug-in releases and and events for this long, to be honest, because I, I think even what you're left with, which is usually a hardcore community, must have been very, very small. That minuscule, because much like you and I, Dan, and I like to think that I'm, I'm particularly average, I wouldn't say you are, but I'm particularly an average person, an average game, or gamer, shall I say, mm. um, we spent probably a couple of weeks. You sold yours. I think I logged back in just to get a skin, but never played it. Because I was, I thought, well, if I ever do, then I'll get that skin because it was like a, a, a time-sensitive thing to log in and get it. Um, I, I, I smashed it for about three or four weeks. Really good. Mm. Really good. Semi-good. Pretty good. Single player. It was rough around the edges, and I don't think it was the best story they could have played, but it wasn't wasn't bad. That was it. There wasn't anything else to it. Mm. I think a lot of other gamers felt the same and and, and the, the player base dropped off the side of a cliff. 
So I'm really surprised, you know, 18 months, two years later, that they've still been doing it. So, yeah, they've finally redirected their efforts onto other titles and other games. Um, and, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been dead and gone and buried mm. now. If they had followed that sort of linear path of the Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy VII remake and Guardians of the Galaxy, I think it probably would have been a hit, but it's just... They just got greedy. You know, they went against everything they had promised back when they sort of teased it in 2015, 2016, or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, it was just dog shit, which is sad. It's genuinely quite sad. You know, what, what they teased originally, I, it came up in my Facebook memories, actually. I shared it. I was like, I want whatever this is. Um, Sorry, 2015, Dan, but 2023 just called and you don't. So... No. It's just a good example of how you just you shouldn't be too involved in the hype because the hype can actually make it a significant dis- disappointment. Um, and if we could just take a quick breather to, to reflect on the last episode, which I most anticipated, 23. I'm already talking about one of the disappointments. It's only a couple of weeks since we did the episode for Spoken Dan. So I mentioned mm. this game on the PlayStation 5. It's an interesting parkour, magical, open world type title. It's pretty much bombed straight out of the gates. Another Square Enix game, isn't it? It is. Yeah. They're not having a good time at the minute. And I think they're going to re-divert all of their attention and their efforts and their developers back into the Lara Croft Tomb Raider series, which is just brilliant. You know, the storylines are phenomenal. Have you played any of those before, Dan? No. Oh, I need to go on it. So I, I played the original, like, Tomb Raider games from back in, yeah, PlayStation 1, get PlayStation 1 days. Yeah, yeah. No, the, 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 the latest latest versions are very, very good. Um, the, the, the writing is phenomenal. They're, they're effectively films. Um. People could argue and say, yeah, well, uh, there's lots of quick time actions, a lot of this, a lot of that, but actually it's it's very polished. It's lots of fun. And you see the character evolve through the titles. I think there's been three games since and they're working mm. the fourth one of the series. Uh, and there really is a a difference, a marked difference in their abilities, but the storyline continues all the way through. Um, it's a great game. But yes, I think that's what Square Square Enix had going to do is revert back to what they know and what they do best. Mm. Because um the last couple of games they've done have been absolutely well, apart from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? That, that was quite a good game. Yeah. Um, but people don't tend to rave about it. I don't know why. Maybe because I've still got a bitter taste in the mouth about the other Marvel game that you just mm. mentioned that I won't again. Um but yeah, Forspoken, Bond. Uh, and you knew there was a problem because I think a couple, of t- a couple of days after I mentioned it on um, uh, Most Anticipated, people on YouTube were saying they hadn't received their early codes, their early early access. And that's usually given to press and to YouTube channels to do early impressions and early reviews. They'll do an embargo and say, well, look, here's early access to the game, but you're not allowed to release a video to XYZ. They did give them early access whatsoever. Oof. And you know that's bad because they don't want to, to impact their... Um, their pre-orders because mm. once you're pre-ordered I mean you're, you're pretty much set then the release date comes and thank you very much in their pocket whereas if people are bombing your game people just take their money away and obviously they don't get 
get the uh the, the cash on release day so yeah uh, i don't know how much that's going to affect them but it's going to be quite significant and it's all the disappointment Dan. oh man but good. just around the corner again from recording just under a week we've got hogwarts legacy fingers crossed let's see if um let's see if uh, warner brothers can put out the bag mm, i'm still gonna be busy playing the ps4 um to say still still making my way through the Final Fantasy 7 remake um, I think I'm about a third of the way through now given that a lot of players seem to complete it in 28 hours I'm about 9, 10 in um, I actually got a mixed review um, the, the the remake oh. and the, a lot of people that love the original as much as I did were like well it's a shit because you know it's not quite true and what well, stuff to the original it's, you've sort of sidetracked but then if you want a glorious game, I love it personally because it's fleshing out in particular the Midgar section of disc one from the original. Oh, God. Do you remember, actually, some games back then were so big they had to spread it over X amount of discs? Yes. Um, I first came up against one of those when I was on the sega saturn and mm. there was a particular game i can't remember what it's called now and it's based on a space station uh, and it was abandoned and you wake up and you don't know where you are and it's one of those kind of creepy abandoned deep space things uh and i think there was f- six discs six discs down I mean, jesus that's, that's bonkers i mean the game looked beautiful for the time but yeah six discs mm. so um that's the only game i did have which was across multiple discs but yeah there was six of the bad boys yeah, Final Fantasy were classic for it. So Final Fantasy VII had three. That's a lot. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII had four. That's just, I don't know how many nine had, to be honest. By the time you get to the PS2, I think the disc sort of only went down to like one or two, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, those were the days. You'd get to a certain point in the game and it'd be like, insert disc two and you go yeah all right then crack on yeah i can't remember which game it was but i had that for the um uh, the 360 and it said take out disc uh if actually put disc two in, it's like it didn't come with a disc two it's like one disc what are you talking about and i hadn't come across this in years so I took the game out and it paused on the screen because if you take discs out it doesn't just turn off the, the, the yeah. console it just kind of freezes I picked up the disc for disc transfer. What's he talking about? Flipped it over. And again, it, there was disc two. There was part two effectively on the other side. All you had to do was flip the disc. So you didn't have a second disc. It, it just wrote on both sides. Mm. Put it back in, close your tray, and off you go. Great really stuff. odd, though. Really odd. Mm. Uh, I do have an honourable mention for Final Fantasy VII. Oh, but oh, yeah. There's so much in my notes. As I said earlier, I'm going to make it my third choice. So we'll move on oh. to that after you've discussed yours. Okay. Um, quick maths five years later Nintendo 64 here we go now quality, we're talking a quality console um, much revered through the ages um, this is the granddaddy of dog fighting and Star Wars games this is Star Wars Rogue Squadron oh great game quality game so good I mean everything from the iconic sounds and the iconic scenes of Mos Eisley and you had the bonus missions of the trench runs and you could unlock other starships so Naboo uh, Naboo fighter from um, 
uh, episode one, Phantom yeah. Menace, and other things. Uh, oh, it wasn't actually because Phantom Menace came out in 2001. But you could, I think it was in a latter uh, Rogue Squadron game. Uh, I think that one was on the GameCube. No, but you still could unlock other games, other other planes based on objectives. Um, much like Goldeneye, if you did like a speed run, you'd unlock certain things. You, it was the same for, for Rogue Squadron. Um, and this was really the first time that they really brought that kind of experience into the home because it tended to be those types of games you'd find down at the pier, down at the arcades. And it's not really a place to really get engrossed in gaming, is it? Because you've got all the distractions, <laughs> all the flashing lights, all the sticky fingers and uh, and the sticky carpets and just, uh, yeah, arcades have a place and it's not for that type of game. No, especially the annoying little kids. Oh, what are you doing? Hey, is it my get, turn get yet? Get in the sea. Get is in the my, fucking sea. Is it my turn yet? No, it's not because I'm still fucking playing. So shove off <laughs> and stop watching me. Um, well, this was an arcade. It is an arcade flight action game. Now, this was done by Factor 5 and LucasArts. And the plot is you are a member of Rogue Squadron and you briefly encounter the Empire Moss Isley Spaceport and Tatooine. The team then executes escort and rescue missions across a number of different planets and the campaign. Now, so far, so good. There are a final set of missions. We see you through taking out defences on the planet, so the, the turrets, uh, coming face-to-face with TIE fighters. And the big bad who's behind the latest Empire campaign, a certain Moff Sidon. So Moff Sidon is another type of evil, and he's his transport ship. Now, this is, this is a big, grey, to some extent, extent, square, hulking thing. But he's in, in his transport ship. And he's trying to ram me out of the sky down. And whilst he's doing this, I mean, this this guy, you mentioned the bullet sponge before, and I've got mm. two examples of bullet, bullet sponges. This guy is taking your blaster fire. He's loving it. And because in uh, Rogue Squadron, they didn't show you like a health meter, you don't know if you're actually doing any, any damage to him but you assume he is. And you're, you're, you're shooting everything you possibly can from your X-Wing at this guy. And as he's trying to blast you, you've got to control the, the, the pitch and the speed of your, your X-Wing, getting out of the way, getting the shots in, and also then dodging TIE fighters who wave after wave after you kill them come in to replenish and support this ailing general of the skies. But once you get through him, happy days, he goes to his fiery death and you're victorious. But that's only kind of the appetizer, Dan, because it actually leads you on to the final, final mission. Because you think, as you play that mission, you're thinking, ah, this is the big bad. Mm. This is what my 12, 14 hours have led to. The guy at the end, the guy who you always hear over the radio but never see because he's talking from a ship or from a, a Star Destroyer. I shot him out of the sky, happy days, roll credits. But no, you're transported to the apt and quite lazily titled planet called Calamari. Now, as a, as a sidestep, I love Calamari, the crispy squid <laughs> rings. If you, have a, if you have a bit of aioli, it goes down an absolute treat. A fantastic appetizer or a main meal, if you so intend, a square of, of lemon, and it's a treat. Mm, agreed. But what it isn't, is a particularly well thought of name for planets. But the reason why it's called Calamari, I guess, because it's a lush ocean world with the odd island rolling green hills. And in 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 one of the main parts, 
It's a very gray, uh, gray looking, sandy covered city. And you can protect the city then from the tire bombers and from the tire fighters, the advanced tire fighters. So you're having it's essentially a culmination of everything you've learned, as all good, I guess, final acts are. Everything you've learned from the whole game, so dogfighting and how the, the ships perform. You've got to choose your ship so you can choose an A-wing to a Y-wing. You mean you wouldn't. To a B-wing, to an X-wing, you can choose anything you want. So it's up to you. They're not going to dictate to you how you play. And the reason being is you don't really need anything specific because all you've got to do is know how to shoot. Because in this mission, Dan, you've got to shoot the, the X-wings, uh, the TIE fighters, shall I say. And when you've done that, You've then got to then take on what looks a little bit like a sucking, floating Henry Hoover. <laughs> this thing's on stilts. So if you imagine little Henry Hoovers, four of them in each, each corner of this box, this floating box. And this, this, this big Hoover is sucking up the water. And with every minute, he's getting closer to the city. So you've got to try and take out this hulking, big, floating death machine as it's coming towards this city that you've been sworn to protect as a rebellion uh, and it's, it's not a difficult particularly it's a particular boss you've got to shoot at each of these mini Henry Hoovers and then the, 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 the jets fail and they explode and you've got to go on to the next one rinse and repeat but of course you can't you can't just hover because X-Wings don't fly like that so you've got to be able to time your runs and then there's new ways of, um, of TIE fighters coming in to shoot you then there's ground forces that just appear out of nowhere obviously because that's the way that AI is being intended. So you've got to fly back to the city, protect the city, otherwise the shields go and people die, and that's not good. And then go back to the Henry Hoovers and go for another leg. And you do this so many times, and um, it's quite stressful, Dan. Mm, sounds say. it. But incredibly rewarding and unexpected, because, again, you don't expect that level to, to happen. It's almost like a bolt-on. Maybe it's an afterthought. Because after you kill Moff Seardin, happy days, but it's not. You've still got one final showdown with this bloody hoover of the of the water. Um, but once you do that, I mean, that thing, by Jove, does it explode? And it looks great in 64-bit. And there's bits flying around everywhere and you're flying through the flames. It's happy days and you feel like you're, you're, um, you're Tom Cruise in a fighter jet and it's wonderful. And for me, that's, that's why this has made my third choice because... Star Wars Rogue Squadron, for me, is the quintessential dogfighting spaceship air-to-air combat game. I don't think there's anything quite close to it. It was executed perfectly. It looked wonderful. It's vibrant. It's colourful. It's true to the Star Wars lore because it's done by LucasArts. Mm. It's proper licensed. It's a proper game. And as I say, at the end, the payoff is phenomenal, but also unexpected because you've got this almost like this bonus mission. But it's free for you to do any way you wish, but you've got to be comfortable that you can fly that damn ship because you're going to be challenged. But when you overcome that final boss, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal title. And it is one of the games, actually, and the Rogue Squadron games, always the ones that even after I long completed, I'd go back. And I'd, 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 I don't know about you, Dan, but I'd go back and I'd select, mm. I don't know, the the Hoth mission where you'd use the... Um, the snow speeders to, to yeah. trip up to trip up the um the ATATs or I'd do I don't know another mission where I'd be in the the, the jungles. You know, I'd I'd go and play those specific missions, or even the, the valley ones where you're flying with the Y wings, you've got to do an escort bombing run. I mean it's just it's just so well designed, so well 
thought of. Very well voice acted. The AI was spot on. It was quite challenging, but rewarded you for knowing your your ship and your combat. Um, as I say, it's such a good payoff at the end. So yeah, that's my third one. All the way back in 1998, the Stella N64 title, Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Uh, so keeping in theme with Final Fantasy Seven, uh, this was my honourable mention. It is a th- uh, well, a thing called Demon's Gate. Oh. Li- I mean, I've not chosen this because I enjoyed it. This is one of those moments where I, I took my PlayStation memory card into my friend one day and went, I'm sick of this, cunt. I need you to do it for me. I've just realised. This is the third time ever I've dropped the C-bomb on the podcast. But yeah, it's happened now. Oof. I could have smashed my controller several times. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've defeated him since. Uh, especially in my adulthood. Now you find this guy in the Temple of the Ancients and Demon's Gate literally is as he's described. He is your gateway out of the temple. He is a big, ugly, demonic head with claws. He comes out and then you've got to defeat him and then you can carry on. This is probably the toughest boss the player has encountered yet and no other lie that is true now if the if the i've got some tips okay i'm still mm-hmm. learning things now after all these years at the tender age of 37 i'm still learning things now so if anyone's listening to this going well dan i've struggled with demon's gate <clears throat> i've not defeated him yet or i when i do play final fantasy 7 it is really hard what can you tell me well I can help you out. Now, if you're unable to defeat Demon's Gate due to being a low level, you can return to an area where you fought sort of like a mini boss. It was a red dragon. uh, And you can run around there, make enemies appear, and you level up that way. Good stuff. Now, Demon's Gate is a fast boss with high attack power that uses various attacks, and many of them hurt the entire party at once. And oh boy, this guy can sort of take you out in a couple of moves. His first move is Cave-In, which is a nice attack on all your players. Uh, Although it can also be used on a single target if all party members are either non-targetable or under the effects of... um, He uses Slow Numb or Petrify statuses. Um, He uses Petrify, which inflicts Slow Numb on the victim. It's almost like turning your player to stone. So you get Sounds it. like Monday morning in the office for me, Percy Dan. But yeah, do you have a little like time over your head, and then like when it runs down, you just freeze. Always, without my coffee, that's exactly what happens. Uh, he also has a move called Demon Rush, which is his deadliest attack. Uh, but the player can tell when he's about to use that move um, because he uses it off. Uh, Demon's Rush is used two turns after Demon's Gate has taken a total of 2,500, 5,000 or 7,500 HP damage. Uh, With sense, the player can work out when this will happen. So get a little materia called sense and you can just see like what the enemy's got left on his thing. So it's not like in some of the games now where they give you like a, a health meter you literally no. have to hone in and go all right so he's got 2500 left he's going to use that move in a minute uh it is possible to poison demon's gate 
yeah, it is immune to poison elemental damage. It will, also, it will constantly deal 0%, so don't bother with that stuff. The only way to see this is via added effect materia, which you can sort of bolt onto other materias. So use your poison materia that way, uh, as any skill that inflicts poison would do nothing. Uh, the player can cast slow right away to break Demon's Gate's speed. Um, if you've got your enemy enemy skill materia, use big guards. So that will give you a nice barrier. And if possible, use regen to replenish your party's HP. Good way to uh, get through this. Uh, as Aerith is in the party, or Aerith, if you're uh, an OG player, her healing limit breaks can also be of great help. Um, because of Demon Gate's unusually high magic defense, most magic and summon abilities are ineffective. So don't waste your time using magic on this guy. Uh, with one exception. So previous to this battle, you would have earned the Bahamut summon. It ignores magic defense and also deals a significant amount of damage. So I'd actually recommend using that straight off that's a good chunk of his health using that summon materia uh, the player should stick to using physical abilities limit breaks and ordinary melee attacks it will get you through I promise um, but I say not the easiest boss and probably the most difficult disc one hated it genuinely hated it <laughs> and even now I hate him. I uh, it makes me more anxious when I. It sounds like there's a real strategy to it, though, in terms of actually getting really getting to know the types of attacks and um and his, you know, the the way which you mm. would respond at certain levels of the um of the fight. Yeah, there was also a movie you'd do where he would sort of jump up and this big rock would fall on one of the players and it would deal such huge damage. Absolute killer. I mean, I I don't think I struggled when I bought the original back in 2019 because I was I did a lot of side quests and stuff before I got there. So I was sort of a nice level to mm. sort of get through. But yeah, Jesus, as as a 13, 14 year old, I couldn't stand it. And I at one point I said I had to give my memory card to my mate to, to <laughs> do it for me one evening. He came back, he went. Uh, you're at low level. It was fine. Got you sorted. And then when I plugged my play, my memory card back into my PlayStation, there it was. All done. And I was on to the next part of disc one. I've got a question for you, Dan. Mm. And it's an interesting debate because otherwise devs wouldn't like do it. But side quests over main storyline. And sometimes you, you can find that if you do side quests, you do get that XP, you do get additional um, items, inventory, weapons, whatever, that means that when you do go back to the main game, it's it's a hell of a lot easier. Mm. Is that a bad thing? Do you find yourself doing that or does it depend on the game? What's your thoughts on that that kind of way to play, play a title? I think it depends on the game. Because um, when I did the, the rerun of Final Fantasy VII in 2019... It, the side quest that I did in particular where you go to Wutai and one of your characters steals all your material and you've got to try and find it and 
it's actually quite hard. You know, some of the enemies there were were quite difficult, but probably because of that experience and going through that sort of hour, two hours of of mm. that side quest actually made me stronger to be able to sort of carry on. But then sometimes it sort of takes the challenge away from the main story. Mm. I don't know. It was, it was, it is a, I'm, I'm, I feel mixed about it. Yeah, because as you say, it can teach you how to play the actual game and perhaps I don't know, we haven't paid attention to the the intro mission or the um you know the the instructional mm. section and it's a it's a safety blanket whilst you enjoy and take on the story. There's times where I have smashed through because I've enjoyed it so much. I've, I've sorted out all the side quests and when I've then started the lower level, you know, f- first third of a game, I'm flying through it. It does take something away from it because actually you don't quite spend the same amount of time during the the way which the devs designed it to because you're you're not thinking about something or you're not you you kind of used to the, you know every game's got a way which is going to be played right you it's got like a vibe I'm not sure if I'm really explaining myself properly but if you pick up a title and you play enough of it you kind of know how that game is to be played it's mm. like um it's like a yeah it's like a vibe uh, and it's it's unique to that game. And I guess the devs don't assume that you know about that vibe at that point in the game. Whereas if you do all the side quests, you kind of know what to expect. You kind of know the way the AI works because there's a rhythm or there's a formula or it's a power of three because, of course, games love power three, don't they? Um, there's all those kind of things. So you tend to smash through those early levels really quick because you kind of know what to expect so that you wouldn't usually get until much later. And I have found that I've kind of taken something away from it. Mm. But on the other hand, I find that by doing the side quests, you then are able to unlock some of the cooler stuff early on. So there was stuff that, you know, by the, the mid to end game, you only just have enough money or credits or experience or this or that to be able to get the cool thing that you've always wanted. Yeah. And you kind of regret then not spending the time doing those side quests because you could have used that cool thing earlier on does that make any sense yeah no it makes sense it's a real tight kind of payoff between do you do you ruin the game longer term but you have some cool shit with you or do you play it as probably you know hardcore intended but then i guess miss out on having a cool experience with the cool cool stuff or the cool unlocks the cool abilities and it's always one that i I didn't struggle with. It's not an existential crisis, but I do always find myself when I'm in that situation, it's mostly with, you know, role-playing games or um, large open world games, whether I do one or the other, because there's invariably not really middle ground. Mm -hmm. Because I find when I start a side quest, there's loads available. I just do them because it's fun. I guess it's that quick payback, isn't it? Yeah. You'll do the quick side quest, smash. Oh, I've completed it. And I've got something for the reward. Great. Let's go for the next reward as opposed to the long drawn out storyline or story storyline campaign. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting one. Guys, look, as you're listening, are you team side quest or are you team storyline campaign? Let us know. Get in contact because, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see which side of the fence you guys sit on. Could be a future episode, isn't it? Most definitely. Uh, so who's your next choice Alex the death match of the late noughties Dan one of the best first person titles of modern times in my opinion is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 
Did you play I this one? A lot, um, I was never really a Call of Duty person. I know you and your friends are. Um, yeah, I never really got into it. When did it come out? Uh, this was 2000 and I want to say eight. I think I would have missed this anyway, um, especially when online gaming was really sort of becoming a thing then. I'd gone to university for a year. So I missed mm. out on all this stuff, unfortunately. I, I imagine if I hadn't gone to uni, then I probably would have picked this up and got involved with my brother and my friends and my stuff. My brother 2009. was always... 2009, Dan. Oh, okay. So it would have come out. Oh, yeah. Maybe... I was always a FIFA person, to be honest. Mm. But yeah. Or an RPG. But yeah, anyway, Alex. Modern Warfare well, Yeah. It's... um. It's a really good game, and it's. I didn't really. I mean, the, the, the multiplayer was really good fun, but it's now a grind. So I don't really play COD titles for multiplayer. I play it for the single player storylines, and they they're like action films basically. They're really really good, and this one's no different. Uh, and I won't spoil it because I think at some point, maybe you should play. It. I don't know, Dan. If you can get into it, but anyway. Mm. You go through lots of iconic missions, and each of the missions I say are like mini films. They're so well written, well directed. They looked good at the time. Um, and this particular part of the game, I'm probably spoiling for some people, but tough. It's been out for so long, you can't have a go at me. You know, 13, 14 years. Is that long? Yeah, it's a while now. Yeah. Um, so you're on a, a rig, an inflatable rig, and you're you're chased by helicopters and by men. You shoot them, you survive. Happy days. They come to a waterfall. You're, you're, all ch- you're chasing basically some re- real evil bastard. Um, you're on this waterfall. You jump out of your, your boat, out of the waterfall, into the water. Uh, it's all first person. And then as you're clawing yourself out, it's all by, I guess, interactive cutscene. You're clawing yourself out of the water. You're spluttering. You're, you're trying to grab your breath. You're in a dust storm. Can't see much more than a couple of meters in front of you. An orange haze has descended. It's quite claustrophobic because you can't really see what's going on, but there's there's people clawing around, there's dead bodies, there's all manner of chaos going on. And the guy, just in the distance, as you come towards him, is who you've been hunting for for the, the, the latter part of the game. The big bad. Someone who you trusted, Dan. General mm. Shepard. General Shepard was all part of the good guys. He was the leader of this elite force of the US uh, army. And he ended up being the big baddie. He, he, he was an asshole. Uh, he was all around bad egg. And actually there's some of your best characters, some of your best mates of the series in a ditch to burn like a crispy schmore. He, um, he wasn't a very good guy. Now, um, all you got down is a knife on you. You haven't got your guns. You haven't got anything. Cause you just come off a waterfall, right? You're not going to yeah. have your, 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 your weapons on you. Uh, and you go on a hand-to-hand combat. This guy, he hasn't been out of the waterfall. He's waiting for you. So he does best you. Um, and he stabs you. So there's, there's there's red jelly all over the screen. Yeah, you're pretty much, you think you're on your way out. You're not sure you've done something right or wrong at this stage, but you know, shit's getting real. And he's he's monologuing because all baddies do, you know. Um and he's saying, look, this is the end of you. Ha, ha, ha. You couldn't beat me, blah, blah. No one will remember you, all that kind of stuff. And he ends up, one of your, I think it's Captain Price, who's another main character of the series, comes off screen, tries to take him down, and he's being pummeled down. Bare knuckled into the ground. He's going to lose the fight. He's going to die. 
So in one last final attempt with a bit of quick time action, you grab this knife that's plunged into your chest. You're very slowly, by button mashing, pulling this dagger out of your chest. And with a great level of timing and dexterity, your knife throw, like the finest knife throw you'd find at a circus, you throw your dagger straight into the moustache-wielding face of the evil general. And he's dead. He's brown bread. And he saves your down member of your team who's being pummeled into the next generation of console gaming. And you save the day. And this is the interesting one. I chose this, this, this main boss because although you don't have to do any kind of hard work to get to that point, because it's all pretty much on the rails, you may move forward very slowly because, again, you're, you're half dead. Um, you don't have a gun. You don't shoot. There's no kind of real accuracy to it. They're all button mashing or quick time events. The way you, you did just enough to make you feel that payoff, because you you feel like you're part of an interactive film, I think actually it was quite a nice way of, of, of finishing off what's quite a stressful campaign. And there's lots going on. You know, every every level is it's a big affair. It's, it's blockbuster. So to finish off on a, a slower paced but still quite quality high-noted end, I think is phenomenal. Uh, and it's straight out of the, the 90s action film playbook. It looked great. It felt great. You get the revenge at the end. And you do just enough to make you feel like you didn't just sit through five minutes of, of CGI action. You actually had a part to play, even if you didn't do too much. Because by this point, you've got, again, calluses on your thumbs. You've done speed runs. You got all the achievements for not killing people or going through a level as quiet as you possibly can or doing this or that. It's quite nice to sit back and let the game take you through to the end. Mm. And Modern Warfare 2, I think, did it perfectly because not many games kind of did that. You you have to work hard to, to get to the end. And not to say that you didn't work hard at the very end, but those, those earlier missions are quite difficult. They're high octane, high pressured, very quick. They do require you to be they fasten the triggers. So when it came to the ending, you could enjoy the pace, the finale. And it's such a great finale because this guy has killed your team or killed Ghost. He's burned him alive in a ditch. Everyone's been suffer, suffering at the hands of this guy who had your back or seemingly had your back. And you get to teach him a lesson at the very end. It's a, it's a very good finish towards a fantastic title. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I mean, I played it on the Xbox 360. It was available on the PlayStation 2, 3? PlayStation 3, I guess, at the time. Uh, it's it's a quality title. I can hugely recommend it. But that is my penultimate title on my boss boss title nice. of, the, uh, of the episode. Uh, this is my final one. Mm. Let's go to 2018. Okay. Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode, very, very lucky boy. Um, you upgraded your PS5 and you gave me your PS4 for my birthday slash Christmas last year. There you go. Uh, and Spider-Man was the first games I bought. Seventeen ninety nine on the PlayStation Store with bargain. all the side quests. Bargain. Absolute bargain. Let's just kick it off with the first boss. Oh, yeah. Because it's so unexpected. Kingpin. 
Yeah. Like straight off the bat, you're fighting basically the biggest villain in the Spider-Man world. Kingpin. So literally, once there's the starting credits have rolled, you're into it, aren't you, Dan? You, yeah. I never expected it. It's just so unexpected, so off the cuff, and you're going, wait, shouldn't this guy be like the the, the very the last, last one? Very yeah. last boss. No, straight straight off. Um obviously as you're sort of building up to getting to him, you sort of to learn you're learning sort of the Spidey's combat and traversal skills. Mm. Uh, and your first task is go and give the police a hand outside Fisk Tower. Tackle the enemies there and then follow the waypoint into the building. And then you sort of fight off of all these um, bad guys, these mercs and God knows what. And then you encounter the boss fight with Kingpin. But he's got turrets. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Are yeah. they in the, 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 the pillars? Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So to take down the turrets... Uh, look towards one. They're sort of built, in, as you said, built into the pillars, and you have to mash um, R1, which is where you shoot your, your webbing. So it's rapid fire webbing, and it tangles up. Uh, and then you have to keep dodging the other one. And when you have a free second, press both L1 and R1 to grab the webbed turret, like you would a piece of debris, and then you throw it. Mm. Repeat for the other one. Now it's time for some hand-to-hand combat with the big man. He'll counter your standard attacks. So you need to web him up like you did with the turrets. So you have to mash R1 and then he suddenly sort of gets stuck, doesn't he? When he's properly webbed, you can then get a full combo off by pressing triangle, which is the... um, Oh, no, you yank yourself over towards him uh, and then prompted. But when but then back away before overdoing it, because otherwise he kicks your ass. Yeah, you've got to do a, a couple of well-landed timed timed hits. Um, yeah, as you say, if you get too, too uh, overzealous, it'll, it'll whack you. I mean, that takes a chunk of life off. It's not mm. worth it. So yeah, a couple of hits, and then you've got to pull back and wait for the... Because um, he, he charges you, doesn't he? Doesn't he try and charge you? So you've yeah. Got to kind of ju- jump over him, web him as he does it, and then uh, rinse repeat. Yeah, at, at some points he actually calls more men in and then you have a fairly large number of enemies to work through. And I think you get some of those douches with the shields as well, which are quite hard yeah. to defeat. You've got to sort of jump over them and attack them from behind. Um, very common, actually, in a lot of games now. They seem to have shoehorned them into Final Fantasy VII Remake. Right. So you have to sort of like get... You can't jump in Final Fantasy, you have to sort of parry side around step. them and then yeah sidestep pretty much then get behind them and slash them that way I guess it's um, I don't know if it's a lazy kind of game design but it's almost like a two stage way to defeat an enemy isn't it it just bulks mm. out the encounter because it's not just a simple case of you've got to mash through their health you've got to use a bit of tactics to get through the shield and then you then they're fair game aren't they yeah, uh, and you're right. In this one, it's, it's quite difficult, but usually you, you target those first because they'll 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 ram you, and then you're dazed and you you're a squash spider. So yeah, it's um it's an interesting gaming mechanic, and I do mm-hmm. wonder why people introduce them. 
is it just for bulking or is it actually to, to introduce yeah. challenge or something else? What I actually found quite impressive, you can, instead of jumping around the room, you can web sling by um, pushing R2. Yeah. So you can sort of get around some, into space quite fast and focus on the guys with the guns first. Uh, once most of the well-armed enemies are down, you can go back to the kingpin by webbing him up and attacking rinse and repeat. Uh, keep an eye on your spider senses and prepare to dodge often. Use throwable objects, repeat the combos on Fisk and use the triangle and circle prompt as a finisher on him too when the power, when the button prompts appear. Uh, when he gets critically low, he'll grab you for a mini scene. Mm. This was quite cool actually, so be prepared yeah, yeah. for QTEs. Um, when you time those right, remember the button Remember to press the buttons as the outer circle closes down and hits the smaller inner circle of the prompts and it'll go down. And I think there's like four different sequences. Mm. And then if you've timed those right, then congratulations. You've beaten your first boss in Spider-Man. Within the first five minutes of the game, really. Yeah. And I think this is, I think he's one of the most satisfying baddies because I, he doesn't have any any kind of superhero traits, does he? Kingpin. He's just, just a big buff guy. He's just a big guy. He could take a lot of punishment. And I think that's that's why he's probably I never really thought of it that way, Dan. But you're you're right to, to, to identify it's one of the most satisfying ways to start a game because mm. he he just takes punch after punch. And as you as you mentioned, if you can do a really good combo very early on in the game, it's so satisfying to take down one of the most famous kind of nemesis of, of, of Spider-Man. And you're just laying punch on punch, dodging very easily. Um, and you get into a rhythm. And yeah, when you take him down, it's, it's very, very satisfying. And very early on in the game. It's, it's genius, yeah. really. I need to go back and revisit it because I've not played it since just... I think last time I played it was Christmas Eve. Um, but it's... I'm still sort of learning the mechanics and the buttons and I remember sort of hitting some rooftop and there was like a load of bad guys. I was like, oh shit, there's loads of them. Uh, and they nearly killed me. It's mad. Once you once you learn a bit of muscle memory and you open, unlock some gadgets, you can have an awful lot of fun. Mm. It's really good fun. Because you get um, different suits, do different things and yeah. it's quite cool. It doesn't just look good. They can, Yeah, as you say, they can have different different abilities and it's really interesting to to unlock and combine these different things you have a different looking suit with a different ability um and the the, the other bosses are very very good so i won't spoil it but when you come across shocker i think shocker is next level up from kingpin and that is really good fun mm. so yeah Sounds there's like plenty, fun. plenty to look forward to in that game so yeah that was my last one uh, and then after mm. yours, Alex, it'll be on to the listener. Oh, I can't wait. Well, very quickly then, Dan. That's goodies. Gears of War, Xbox 360. Did you play that game at all? No. Uh, familiar, though. It was quite a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so Gears of War was all the way back in, I want to say, 2007... 2006 so late fall 2006 um it is a 3d shooter third person shooter 
storyline driven um and uh and yeah it's effectively the start of a, a much larger what is now series developed by epic games and published by microsoft game studios it was the poster boy of the xbox 360 it launched that console um now the game if you haven't played before like you dan it sees you controlling marcus phoenix who's a big hulking man um looks like he spent most of his living life in the gym crowing down protein bars and eating chicken he's, he's a big guy um he's part of what's called the cog delta squad uh, and it's a very good campaign and it's very cinematic and it's it's a beautiful game to watch and it's post-apocalyptic uh, but your final act is to take, take control of a a big motherfucking bomb it's called a light mass bomb which if done correctly can end the whole of the campaign, the war that's being raised against you by these hideous, murderous beings called the Locust. These monsters who have been hiding underground waiting for the day to emerge and to, 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 to start to wage campaign of, of terror and war across the humans on this planet called Sarah. The guy who's behind it is a big, again, a big hulking guy called General Ram. Now, this baddie is perhaps, I guess, one of the best final showdowns. And it was equally playing it solo as it was playing four-player co-op. The difference with four-player co-op is you had other people around you. By that point, I mean, you could do it chapter by chapter. But if you did all the way play through, I think it took me about six and a half hours to play end-to-end. And that was on the hardest setting. Um, the difference being when you're with three other people is um, it wouldn't be any easier. You'd have... I guess four times the health. So you would not get an easier ride. You had more people. It just means you had to be more coordinated. Um, but General Ram is the focal point, as I mentioned before, of this locust army, the main guy. And um, through the campaign, he's been lifting people up and skewering them in front of you and killing people. And he's, he's the baddie who just is always out of reach. Well, you start the final level on a fast-moving bullet train, effectively, Dan, an open-air open one. And this General Ram, he's not happy to see you because you're you're trying to end his brethren. You're trying to end the war with this big, big bomb. And you mentioned about bullet sponges. Well, mm. Gears of War is always about how much ammo you can put into these murderous sacks of meat. And Ram takes a lot of damage. Now, unlike most of the rest of the game, which although it's corridor shooter, you do have some space to get behind cover and to move around and flank and do all the rest of this. At this start of the game, Dan, on this stage of the game, you're you're on a very narrow train carriage. So there's not really many places you can go to. And of course, you could easily fall to your death because you're going so so fast on this track. There's not an awful lot of space to, to traverse. So you've got to be really quick. You've got to know how to cover. You've got to time your shots. Now, this guy, I mean, you, you need to empty your clips into this near protected baddie because he, you ordinarily in the Gears of War game, you've got the the iconic chainsaw bayonet on the end of your machine gun so you can chainsaw baddies in a half and it's very, you know, gritty and gruesome and blood splattering and it's... It's oddly quite enjoyable, but you can't do it, Ram, because Ram, almost a bit like um, Batman Begins, when Batman is covered and circled by all those bats. Do you know the Christian Bale? Yeah. Version? Yeah. 
the general ram is covered in the same way by these murderous, vampirific, almost bat things. So you can't go hand to hand because you'll just get chewed up. So you've got to choose your shots, throw as much as you possibly can into him. And ammo is obviously quite tight because you're on a train. There's not so many places you can get that. And then with the limited amount of frags that you have, throw your grenades, shoo away those murderous birds, those bats, and then lay every single amount of clip you can into him mm. and rinse and repeat. And he'll chase you. So he'll walk very slowly towards you, shooting his own big old shotgun. So you've got shotgun blasts coming at you. You've got these horrible murderous bats. If you get too close, they'll chew you up. And you've got to bounce around, rolling into cover. The cover then gets slowly eroded because he's obviously shooting at you. So you get environmental damage. Uh, and you can't run away because you're on a very narrow carriage that's going at super light speed down this open air track. And it took me, I don't know, maybe a couple of hours, first place we to actually defeat him. And it was really quite frustrating. I think a couple of times I had to turn off the Xbox, get out for a pint and come mm. back another couple of days and have a breather because I just didn't know how to do it. And you couldn't progress the game because there wasn't a, a that was the end of it. It's, it's a very linear campaign. So you can't take a breather, go back into the open world, do a side quest or repeat. You're stuck there. That is it. That's the end of the chapter, end of the game. You've got to do it. There's no turning back. But when Fine. you did it, when you did it, it was phenomenal. And there's a, a very nice cut scene. And when you ran all the way down his, his health, there's a lovely cut scene where you end up chucking them off the, 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 the train, skewering, then you've your bayonet. Happy days. Roll the cutscenes. You've saved the day. Then invariably you don't because there's a Gears of War 2, 3, 4, and 5 or whatever. But for all intents and purposes, you've got revenge on all of your fallen comrades at the hands of this big bad in a very bloody, very bullet, bullet-ridden way. And yeah, it's very, very tough but very, very satisfying at the very end. What a great way to finish off what I think is one of the best games that Microsoft have ever developed. Gears of War, mm. Xbox 360. A beautiful game. Ooh, we've got some more beautiful games here, Alex. Tell me, what have we got? So let's hit up with the listeners. Um, first up, we've got Sam um, and Tommy. We're going to talk about Pokemon first. Oh, yeah. So Sam said, Cynthia, Pokemon Platinum, the hardest Elite Four champ that forced me to quit the game in around 2009-ish, didn't go back to complete it until 2020. Wow. That's quite a gap. That's a hell of a gap. It is. Um, and Tom actually agreed, said, to be fair, Cynthia is insane. I don't know I dragged that out. <laughs> too. Uh, and Tommy actually says as well, the, the gym leaders in Gen 2, Silver, Gold and Crystal of Pokemon, when you go back to the Kanto region from Gen 1, difficulty curve is non-existent by the time you beat the last 16th gym. Your Pokemon are 30 levels higher. Where's the <laughs> challenge? And that's kind of what we talked about before, wasn't it, Dan, about you know, side quests and being overpowered at the point in which you would naturally come to that point in the game. Mm. And Pokemon's a really good example, actually, because if you explore you invariably rank up your pokemon so much that when you go back to 
completing those gyms, as they say, it it's it's walking the park because yeah. you've, you've you've you may not have put all your effort and time into that that Pokemon that's either elemental or it's rock or it's water type, but because you know you've got to go back to that gym, you may use them more and more, and because you spent more time out in the field, you've got such a diverse range of high powered different Pokemon that perhaps you haven't kind of focused on that yeah you can go back and just absolutely waltz it but Pokemon's a very good example of that yeah I haven't actually played against the Elite Four probably for some time um, the last time I think I played against them would have been Pokemon Stadium on the N64 you can oh, yeah. put, you can yeah, put yeah, your yeah. red or blue cartridge into the game and you'd load your Pokemon into it I remember it well you'd go through all the different stages and then you get to the elite four. Yeah. It's been a long time. That would have been 2000. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have got, um, Pokemon Scarlet actually for the Nintendo switch. I need to get back onto that and, um, see how I'll get on. Mm. Been a while since I played a Pokemon game. Yeah. Uh, back to Sam. He said, the one in Metal Gear Solid who read your memory card and you had to plug your controller into port two. Uh, do you remember Metal Gear Solid? I've, I've never been um, a Metal Gear fan. I know lots of people kind of compared Splinter Cell with Metal Gear because I guess it's a ninja type dude who's in the military. Hmm. But I didn't have um, a PlayStation growing up until uh, I was in second year first year of uni mm. so that that ship had sailed you know they were metal gear yeah. god knows what and i was more of the splinter cell kind of offshoot not that you ha- you can be one or the other you have to be but i invariably was so and then no no, no dad i never got yeah. into it and i kind of regret that a little bit because i know a lot of people have very fond memories of the very odd but satisfying boss fights and i never yeah. experienced for the reasons you're about to mention, but yeah, never played it, which is a real shame. Uh, the boss that Sam is referring to was someone called Psycho Mantis. Now, I've heard of this. Oddly. Pre- proceeds to read the actual memory card you have in your system. Um, if you've played any other popular Konami games at the time, which particularly would have been sort of Castlevania, Psycho Mantis will remind you how much you like Castlevania eventually even commenting on how much you've saved during the game. Uh, it's genius stuff. You know, this boss is breaking the fourth wall and is talking directly to you as the player. It's, it's brilliant. Um, I mean, I only remember that boss because I used to watch my friends play it. I never actually owned it. Um, I only owned Metal Gear Solid 2. It came part of like a bundle when I got my PS2 when I was... I think I just left school, actually. But yeah, great games. Uh, next up, we've got Brendan. He says, can't remember the name of the boss, but I launched my controller at Tekken 3 before. Yeah, Tekken was frustrating as hell. Never got into them, to be honest. I yeah. Th- I, I had, had vir- a demo. I had vir- Virtua Fighter on the Sega Saturn, which is basically just a poor man's version of Tekken, but did play eventually Tekken, and it's it's much the same. Like it's just uh oh, it's painful button button mashing and I don't find those games have an awful lot of payoff. Cause it's it's invariably I think it's a bit of luck and then there is strategy to it, but it's just I think it's personally quite limited. 
So yeah, I don't. They're not really. A, it's not really a title that I I really enjoy too much. No. You pick it up, have the odd odd battle, the odd fight, almost like um. Do you ever play Super Smash Brothers on yes. Nintendo? Yeah, quality because you know it was colourful. You had power ups and stuff, but for Tekken or for Virtual Fighter or for I don't know any of those titles, it's just not basic because you would chain things together, but it would just be a case of jump, knee, duck, punch and kick, and that that's kind of it. I don't know. It's yeah. I wasn't I wasn't a massive fan of them in the end. No, same. Uh, next, I've got Zach. Got a couple here from him. He says, "Any dragon from Skyrim? What bastards they are!" Hmm. Did you ever play Skyrim? Because I no. love this game. I never got we onto did. the bandwagon, but I, I know it's been remastered or it's been re-released, and lots of people still have fond memories. It's still played mm. today, and there's there's still lots that people are finding after all these years. But no, I never. I never got into it, mainly because those games just took took so long and I never really had a long enough period to sit down and take it all in. Yeah, it, it does take up a lot of time, um, mm. especially when I bought... Because, like, so they re-release it so many times now. I think I bought it on the re-release and there's there were, like, side quests you could do. And one of them, you could actually just build your own house. And I spent hours building this house. It had turrets... Had a library, a weapon room, and God knows what. It was just so fun, so enjoyable. Mm. Um, but the dragons, yeah, no, Zach's right. They're a pain in the ass. They'll just you could just be minding your own business, and then a fucking dragon will come down, and it starts attacking you, and you'd be there for like twenty minutes hacking these bastards. Uh, I mean, the, the, it was satisfying by the end of it. Um, mm. And you drain the dragon's soul and you sort of collect bits and pieces to create your own armour or whatever. But yeah, pain in the ass. Uh, and they said the first Borderlands game's final boss is a sh- <laughs> is shite, a huge bullet sponge. Very disappointing. And then they followed that with one of the best bad guys in the computer games, Handsome Jack. Uh, I played Borderlands. Um, sort of comic booky style graphics, but it was quite fun. And mm-hmm. the boss he's ref- was, and the boss he's referring to is the Destroyer. Uh, is a massive intergalactic being from another dimension sealed within Pandora. It appears as a gargantuan one-eyed beast with a massive mouth and several tentacles. The Iridians at the cost of their entire civilization, imprisoned the destroyer within the vault thousands of years ago. Yeah, I'm sure it took me ages to get through that final boss. It's so worth it. Yeah, so worth it. Uh, next up, we got Mikey. It says, any Ocarina of Time boss, but the first three is Young Link, are iconic slash nostalgic to me. Mm. Uh, so as we mentioned, we talked about Queen Goma at the start of the episode. Oh, yes. Uh, you had King Dodongo, uh, which you'd find in Dodongo's cavern. And he was the fire-breathing lizard, uh, and he'd roll oh, yeah. around. Uh, when he breathes in for when he breathes in for his fire breath, you actually had to throw a bomb into his mouth. Uh, and when it exploded, he would sort of become stunned. And then when he was stunned, you could attack him because he was vulnerable. It was always like a different take on Queen Goma, which was genius. And then there was Baronade. 
which is located inside Jabu Jabu's belly. Um, Baronade yes. will have a variety of attacks, including a multitude of giant beery. Sounds like a curry, doesn't it? A giant beery. Mm. Um, an electrical laser, as well as quickly ramming into Link. The boomerang must be used in order to stun it, and once stunned, it can be attacked by the Kakiri sword. So again, very similar um, combat styles for each boss at the start, but yeah. Totally with you there, Mikey. He actually gives an honourable mention to the Lich King from World of Warcraft. He says that's iconic, which is pretty apt if this is a podcast segment slash title as Wrath of the Lich King is the current expansion of classic World of Warcraft. was also the expansion with the most WoW subs ever, hitting 12 million subscribers in 2010. We like facts on the mm. uh, on the topic. Uh, next up, we got Kelly. She says, "Resident Evil Biohazard." I wanted to smash the controller into the TV on several occasions on that game. Shovely Jack, when he turned into the thing with all the eyes, was a monster. Sounds gross. Yeah. Did Did you ever get into Resident Evil games? Again, no. Skip some. Um... Skip me because I didn't have the PlayStation One. I guess by the time I had a PlayStation Two, I kind of missed that that hype. I'm not really into horror games. I guess no, I'm, not. I'm not. I had a demo of um, Resident Evil Two, which was probably the more iconic of the lot. Mm. Um, I just yeah, I didn't like the. I suppose that fear element. You just wouldn't know what was going to come out of that dark corner or around. Round and come and attack you. Just, I just wasn't a fan. I don't like zombies either. So, yeah. No, we um many a time after a night out at the union, I'd go back to my mate Matt's house and we'd play Fear. Have you ever played Fear before? Heard of it? I've heard of it. I'm sure yeah. this was like quite a big thing amongst my work colleagues. It's, it's a first-person shooter, effectively, um, but it's of a paranormal. And uh, the very opening of the game. So by this point, I'm about six seven pints in and i should should be at home in bed but invariably you go home to your mates and you have some drinks and you watch tv or you play computer games and he 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 worked at blockbuster at the time of course that shows our age because blockbusters isn't even a thing now but he would take the rental the game rental back he'd get free game rentals and um he played the first 10 minutes of fear and i had to leave dan we weren't there very long because you go down a corridor and a box, an empty box down a corridor would just fly at you just randomly or there'd be a shadow or you'd you turn down the corridor and as you move out the corner of your eye, of your vision, something runs and you go and look and nothing's there or a door suddenly slams shut. Proper jump scare stuff. I was like, mate, I'm out. I'm, I'm too drunk for this. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with this. So yeah, it sounds like neither of us are probably Resident Evil um, worthy but uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't something that i ever really grew up playing i guess for the reason that i'm scared you can yeah same uh same with horror films just can't get into them some no. people just love it for the adrenaline rush don't they yeah, yeah but it's always it's always ever going to end up one way which is the main protagonist ends up dead it's oh, usually yeah. what you find so yeah it's um i don't mind your horror film but it's just not it's not my genre 
Uh, next up, we got Ray. She's put a little gif of Robotnik. Oh, yes. Classic Sonic villain. Um, a lot of nostalgia there for me, actually. I remember it was Green Hill Zone on Sonic 1. He would be in his little like hovering thing, and he had the swinging ball. Mm. And you had to sort of evade the ball. You get onto a platform, then you have to jump and hit him. Yeah. And every boss level, you had to hit him eight times, and you would defeat him. Yeah, he he was particularly vulnerable in his head, wasn't he? So you'd you'd, you'd smash or you'd have to crack his dome, his glass dome on his yeah contraption, his floating thing that had, as you say, these appendages that were appropriate for each of those stages. And it was it was pretty basic. There wasn't wasn't really any kind of complexity. You knew what to expect. Almost you were doing it. You're trying to smash him before you were able to interact with it. You know, as the screen's kind of loading or if he's coming in. Um, so it wasn't difficult, but how you got to him, as you say, either there's a platform or you had to jump. I think one of the, was it the Mars System version? Because there's different versions of the same game, yeah. Sonic. The Mars System version, I think, of that, one of the latter ones, you had to, I think there was um, uh, different uh, like mountains that you jumped between or platforms and you could then fall to your death in the water. And if you timed it wrong and you could bounce, you could hit him and then that bounce would allow you to jump the gap and then go onto the, the, the middle plinth or the, the pillar. Um, so you had different ways of interacting with the environment, but ultimately you still just try and bounce off his noggin to kill him. Yeah. And it's very, very simple, but still quite enjoyable boss boss gaming. Yeah, it's a good shout, mm. actually. Robotnik is a really good shout. Oh, do you remember the last one of Sonic 2 on the Mega Drive? He was in a big robotic robot thing, but you didn't have any rings in this final level. So the minute you got hit, that was oh, it. Yeah, you had to, it. you you you'd carx it and you had to start again. And of course, depending on how many lives you'd you'd use at that point, you know, you could only have two or three left. Because that could take quite a lot of time to get to that point as well, because they, they were mm. quite quite long levels, actually. What was it? Five or six levels per game? Yeah, roughly that. I think there might have been more in Sonic 2. Yeah. Um, Sonic 3 and Sonic Knuckles was quite an interesting one because if you put Sonic 3 on the top of Sonic and Knuckles, you had to go through all the levels. But by that point, they had already sort of introduced this code where you could, it would save your progress. Oh, yes. Which was quite good. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I remember the final boss of that. You had to fly through space as supersonic, dodge asteroids, and then try and kill Robotnik in his big robotic armor that way, which was really cool. But I remember spending an entire summer one day. It took me about two or three hours to get there. Mm. Long-winded if you're a kid. But yeah, Robotnik's a good shout. Many a plenty of um, summer summery warm days spent inside not outside enjoying stuff getting some fresh air but inside button mashing very tiny controllers on a SCART cable attached to a rear projection TV but they were very simple wholesome days mm. and finally we've got Chris with another iconic boss King Cooper oh yeah I, uh, I mean I wasn't really a Mario kid until I got the N64 so Mario 64, I remember you had to get behind him, mm-hmm. grab him by the tail, swing him yeah, around, yeah, yeah. and then lob him at the bombs around the platform. The only memory I have before that was on the snares with Super Mario World. 
I don't remember fighting him, but I remember fighting his kids on the way across the map. All right. And they were like different way. They all did something different. You had to just defeat them in different ways, which was quite cool. But yeah, great shout for King Cooper. Any uh, memories for yourself on King Cooper? Only as you say, um, Mario 64 grabbed him by the tail, but he's, he's always been um, quite a... Um, quite a boss because he's obviously quite big anyway and Mario's always quite a small guy um yeah so it's it's, it's quite physically imposing as a character and obviously very very strong so um he's he's a great shout and he's just quite a classic I think he he always transports between the the, the ages that sounds quite a, a mm. daft thing to say but if you look at it as all the way from the Game Boy to the 64, then to the Switch, you always get an appreciation of just how big and bad he is. He's never been downplayed in a title, and you always get the sense, regardless of what decade you're playing, he's the real deal. And he's such such a good baddie because he's he's got the presence. He's not really evil. He's a bad guy. But, you know, it's, it's PG race, isn't it? It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a Mario game. But um, you know, he's kidnapping people and he's causing things to become bad. Um, he's just the right amount of evil, I think, for a, a baddie. He's an all-round great character. Mm. Agreed. Um, we've had a podcast idea sent into us. Oh right. But I think it's going to be pretty much. I'm just going to bolt this on as, as as a question for this episode. Mm. Iconic or best game original soundtracks Ocarina of Time and Skyrim had bangers in soundtracks uh, quite easy for me I'm going to agree Ocarina of Time is a classic yes uh, I'm going to throw in Final Fantasy 7 as well because I love the soundtrack I think I've talked about this in favourite computer games and actually I've been really enjoying like the, the reworked versions and the remake every now and again you sort of get the song you go oh yeah mm. I remember that I prefer the original, but say the reimagined versions are very, very good as well. But yeah, nice and easy for me. So those two. I am going to go for the absolute belter of a classic, um, Halo 3. And there's two tracks from the Halo 3 soundtrack OST, and that is the loading screen which is the oh that, that you know that the the chamber type music the the the, the throaty i don't quite know what happened there i don't know whether it was the internet line but your voice went really weird and sort of yeah. alienated that was me singing um <laughs> and then you've also got the 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 upbeat tempo panic music the 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 the, the the, the, the big band as you're getting off the planet that's exploding behind you as you're on the uh, the mongoose, the four-wheeled army vehicle as the whole place is falling to bits and you're jumping through the sky. Um, that soundtrack is phenomenal. So yeah, for me, it's the Halo 3 OST all the days. It's phenomenal. Nice. What a way to round up that episode. 
Oh, yes. Good question as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I just don't think we'd get away with it doing it as a podcast episode. Uh, and to be honest, I don't know if we'd be allowed to use the music or not because we'd probably get cancelled. Someone would come after us and be like, you, you broke copyright law. We want your dollar, dollar bill, y'all. And we ain't got any. I ain't got none. I can't, no. I can't risk it. Um, but that rounds up for this episode. Um, next up, we're going to be talking about plot holes in film and television. Oh, yes. And then I think we'll be talking about films we'd like to see again for the first time. So yeah. take away all that emotion and see that film again. And would you love it as much as maybe that first time? Who knows? Hmm. So if you want to get in touch, if you want to get involved, or if there's anything you've heard in this episode or a previous episode uh, and you want to let us know, you can get in contact on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I should use TikTok more. I just don't know how to use it because I'm old and senile. We are at On The Topic Pod. We have got Gmail, which is on the topic podcast at gmail.com. And then in those posts, you'll find a link to Anchor where you can leave a voice message. Oh, yes. Much like some of our previous listeners. And Alex, we do have WordPress and YouTube. Yes, uh, on our WordPress is effectively our website. So go and have a look at that. It's on topicpodcast.wordpress.com. Very simple all lowercase, all one word. On there's our ugly mugs, our bios. You can look at all of our back catalogue. We've got everything on there all the way back from the weekly roundup days. Um, you can subscribe to our newsletter so you can be notified when an episode drops and much, much more. And yes, Dan, we are now uploading our back catalogues. Every Thursday, we'll do a throwback Thursday. I think we've got probably everything scheduled up until May. And then from May onwards, we'll release along with all of the audio, the video as well, to stream from YouTube. So there's literally no reason why you can't be up to date and grab time-relevant, delicious audio by any means. Smash subscribe, notification button, and yeah, be ready for that that lovely next episode when it's ready by myself and Dan. Go put it in the oven and bake it, and it'll be ready for you soon. Oh, yeah. So for another week... I'm off to jump on the Eggman eight times. I've been Dan. And uh, I'm going to be shooting my rifle, doing some bullet sponging and avoiding decapitated snowman heads. I'm Alex. And we'll see you next time. Next time.